Hi everyone, this is finally the localization podcast episode 21 and as I announced and promised in the last episode which was episode 20 I will not release a new episode until I have a guest and finally that dream has come true so today I'm recording my very first interview uh, with my long time friend slash freelancer uh, whose name I didn't even know how to pronounce until today. So uh, Frushi, welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe to, to brief our listeners, uh, maybe you could like try to recap like how we actually know each other, if you remember it. Sure. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yes, I, I would call you my friend, even though <laughs> we we, ha we have never ever met in person. And I think yeah, we didn't even speak until today, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the first time we hear each other. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> uh, I started my freelance career almost fourteen years ago, and. Uh, I used to work for a company which still exists uh, in its original birthplace in Czechia. It's uh, Skrivanek. Uh, maybe I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but uh, never mind. And I was working for the Hungarian office. Uh, I was. Uh, oh, you were? Yeah. Wait, really? I, I didn't know that. What? <laughs> I used to. I used to be a project manager for. Uh, oh, okay. Hungary. Okay. And. Um, <clears throat> it was a long time ago. We didn't get on well with uh, uh, with with the the manager of the place, and it was very hard. So I decided to quit and uh, start uh, a career on my own as a freelancer. That was my dream, and uh, and it turned out to be a good idea, actually. You know, fourteen years—it's <laughs> a proof, isn't it? So, uh, and after I, uh, I left uh, Skrivanek as a project manager, uh, they started to uh, use me as a freelancer, uh, as an, yeah, in, in their pool. And, uh, and that's why, because if you remember, Skrivanek was a, a share, had a shared pool, I think. And that's why you started to work with me from from Bruno, right? I remember correctly that we were in Bruno, not in Prague. Yeah, yeah, yes. You, you mean like a shared pool of the freelancers, right? Yeah, maybe. That's what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and you offered me lots of jobs for a certain <laughs> for, a, for a certain company and and clients, and uh, and we we got on very well, as you know, personally. You introduced me to the world of Dexter. Do you remember that? Really? Yeah. Wait, yeah, with yeah. Dexter, you mean the TV series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very... very you, you mean the killer? The killer, yeah. the killer, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Really? I, I don't even remember. <laughs> I didn't know it was that long time ago. Because it's been like, like it feels like it's been like uh, ages since I was working for Scrivanek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I really didn't know that you worked as a, as a project manager. Probably I forgot about it. Uh, so was it like your first job ever in the translation industry that you started working for the Hungarian office of Skrivanek as a project manager? Yes, that was my very first contact 
So what what is like your background? Like, do you have like some linguistic education, or how did you end up working as a project manager for for Scribonic? Uh, yeah, I originally I have a teacher's degree and a linguistic degree as well. I also started uh, uh, my PhD studies uh, in linguistics, uh, but I never finished them. I think it's a shame. It's a pity. Uh, so I'm, I'm abs- I was absolutely interested in linguistics, and I, I, I still am. Mm-hmm. And uh, the connection between Skrivanek and me was a, a colleague of mine, and she was uh, she was the head of office, I think. And uh, we used to teach. Uh, a Czech guy together to Hungarian because he wanted he wanted to study Hungarian every day of the week and it was too much for one person so we shared it uh, we we worked for the same language school and that's why that's how we we met and uh, <clears throat> and uh, when there was a vacancy in their office uh, she said that okay let's call her I think she she'll be fine and that's how I ended up there it was it was by chance I think yeah 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 yeah, the same the same thing happened for me like I ended up in the whole industry just by accident you know because I think I was in the second year of my university studies in uh, in Brno Czech Republic and I wasn't like even studying anything closely related to to localization you know I didn't even know that like something like studying localization or translation even existed you know i was studying uh, computer science and then i was just like looking around for like my first job ever you know so i was just like going through several different interviews and then somehow i ended up in like in the basement of moravia which you probably know and they had like their peak period so there were two guys in the interview and uh they hired us almost immediately no i don't think they even evaluated the tests that we did so Mm -hmm. And 15 years later, <laughs> I'm here doing the localization podcast. So, you know, like things like this happen, definitely. So, but from what I understand, like from what you're saying, that actually your first job ever was teaching the the guy Hungarian, right? That was before Skrivanek. Uh, yes, we can say that. Uh, of course, it wasn't my first job. Because, uh, I even started at the university. I used to work as a receptionist it's you know it was a very popular job uh, at the uh, end of the 90s at the beginning of the uh, 2000s and uh, I could use my language skills and but I, I I never worked as a teacher I mean as a high school teacher only as a private teacher I didn't like it at all it wasn't it wasn't my my path to follow and um, <laughs> excuse me, uh, and that's how, why I was so happy to have a proper job in an office. And uh, it was very useful. It was absolutely useful because I could I could see this industry uh, from a very useful per- perspective. Clients uh, clients don't know too much. I think vendor 
don't necessarily don't don't know too much either but uh, project managers have contact to both worlds to to the vendors and to to the clients as well i think and uh, <clears throat> it's a very tough job uh, i think uh, organizing contacting people solving problems managing deadlines it's like jiggling all the time non-stop jiggling throwing things in the air and keeping them in the air like in a circus <laughs> yeah like juggling many different things right yeah absolutely and uh and i was um it was it was very tiring uh, and, and i decided to quit and that's why i started uh, working as a freelancer yeah, yeah. I, I still wanna still I'm still interested like in your first like project manager experience. Uh did you join Scrivanek as a project manager right away or did you start like as like maybe some junior position, which is usually called just like a project coordinator these days? Uh, I think I started as a proper project manager, but I never had very any special titles gained like uh, senior or assistant or nothing nothing i was just a simple uh, project manager right from the <laughs> until the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes simple is 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 the best um but w- maybe like for the people who are listening and they're not familiar with scrivanic i'll try to maybe just share what I think is the difference between Scrivanic and the more traditional LSPs. Because like Scrivanic to me is, uh, and maybe that's your experience as a project manager there as well, is that their localization department in Scrivanic in the whole group is like very small. And by localization, I mean like you have like international clients, they, they send you stuff like, I don't know, documentation software for localization, but what I thought and understood is that the the core of their business is actually people from, from the street coming to the office and having, I don't know, like a hard copy of, I don't know, like some certifications that they want to translate. So that's kind of like the, I don't know, like the traditional translation business, I would say, not like the new IT fancy localization stuff. So is that your experience as a project manager in the Hungarian office that you would deal with people who come like from the street with something to translate or did you did you also deal with like international clients that had something more IT and you know digital documents for a translation uh, only the latter uh, yeah only the latter because uh, in Hungary we have a huge agency and uh, governed governed by by the state itself, uh, and and uh, this is the agency uh, which only which can only provide uh, sworn translations, for instance, and that's why people go there. Of course, uh, they are on the market, but I cannot call them market players because they have very different uh, views about deadlines and weights and language pairs and quality and uh, anything else. I never work for them. I never work for them. I think uh, it's kind of a... I feel like 
I would feel like royalty uh, to work for, if I could work for them. But I never tried. <laughs> I never. I never attempted uh, thing. Interesting. I don't know why. Uh, and uh, for us uh, at Skrivanek, uh, we had our uh, domestic clients, which were also quite big clients, and international ones as well. And uh, from the very first day of my uh, of my job, and as as a part of the of my role, was to to use CAT tools, computer assisted translation tools. <clears throat> uh, if you remember that time, uh, there weren't too many of them, and they were very, very, very simple. They were absolutely simple compared to today's tools, and some of them existed in, in, in a, you know, in a initial form or in a very basic form, version 1.0 or 2.0 form. Uh, and and now they are some of them some of them don't even exist anymore. Or I I'm not sure about it because I I don't have to use them now. And uh, some of them uh, gained high popularity, and uh, and they are they are widely used, popular, very expensive, and and of course they are very smart uh, compared to to those. Those early yes. days. Yes, yes. I, I, I think I still remember that, like, like Trados was definitely the number one cat tool, and today they still kind of like maintain that market dominance, right? SDL, uh, Trados, yeah. uh, with all their different tools that they offer. Yes. But I still remember, like, I think that, like, uh, like when you wanted to translate like a Word document. I think I still remember that there was kind of like a plugin into Microsoft Word and you were translated directly in in the Microsoft Word. Do you remember those days? Like it didn't even run through the through the editor. And it was absolutely unreliable. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Like it was inserting all those crazy tags. And then like, for example, because like I'm working like, I never work as a translator, you know? Mm -hmm. So like you have like a very different perspective of, of everything that's going on. And like, I know like, for example, maybe I remember maybe just like a bare memory, like, you know, like usually like when <clears throat> certain translators, you know, they would mess up the tags. And so then when we as the engineers got the bilingual file, then the next step is for you to kind of like clean it up, which means that you just generate only the the target version, you know, the translated file. But sometimes like when the tags were broken, like uh, it would not work. So we need to like investigate like where the tags were broken, fix them manually. So this was really, uh, really a huge pain. Yeah. But I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit still, let's still stick to your project manager experience. So how do you remember like getting a training like was there a proper training for for becoming a project manager at that time or was it more like a self-taught experience for you uh, some of my colleagues were very helpful but uh, honestly i never uh, received a proper training uh, i think it was like uh, this girl this woman uh, i mentioned you know uh, with 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 whom we shared uh, a pupil, uh, a student, 
uh, I think she showed me something, but you know, she had very, uh, very quick movements. She knew everything. And I was sitting next to her and I, I tried to remember everything, which is impossible, of course. And I tried to follow her movements with the, with the mouse. And it was impossible. It was impossible. <laughs> but time after time, um, we, we trained. We, we trained ourselves and we shared this info with each other. So it was kind of a self-generated training or a self-organized training. Uh, one person was using one tool and uh, sharing mm-hmm. this info, uh, her experience with, uh, with, with the others. And I think it was very useful. I, I learned quite a lot, honestly. I think I'm, I'm well, I'm better trained even now after 14 years than most of the project managers I, I, I'm working with. No offense, of course, no, no offense. <laughs> But, but uh, I have okay. I have this experience that I'm not sure I'm not sure that they know the tools well they understand the whole process which is sad maybe they are just newbies I'm not sure yeah 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 well we'll we'll get to that later um so then you mentioned that you left because of your manager yeah. right can you maybe like share some more details like like what wasn't working for you and was that was that the only reason for you leaving like the relationship or was it also related to the work or did you at that time already have like this kind of like feeling that you want to be rather translating versus managing the translations i never had had uh, an ambition to become a translator I I admired them. I even worshipped some of them because I, I because I I thought you know they were they were gods in, in misty mountains up there in the peak and, and we respected them highly absolutely that that's, a, that's also an interesting difference compared to now that uh, we we understood that they were clever people. They were very smart people, skillful people, and uh, of course creative people. And they had their stuff, you know. They they were all weirdos, and, <laughs> and and I know I know that it's true because I'm a weirdo myself after fourteen years. <laughs> Okay, you you will need to explain this at some point why you think that all the translators are weirdos. I think they are. Yes, we we are weirdos. <laughs> okay. We are weirdos. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I think I have the title for for how to how to promote this episode. <laughs> all translators are weirdos. <laughs> Quote by Rushi. <laughs> that will definitely pick up some attention. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> no, I just, I just wanted to. I just wanted to leave, quite simply, because I, I could see that there was no chance for any promotion. Uh, I could see that uh, the money was, you know, salary was quite low, and uh, we had a quite big tension. I, I didn't like it. I, I, I don't like to be frustrated. Uh, I had nightmares before going to work every single day, so I decided that I will put my myself first. And 
I, I, it will, it will end, I will end up, uh, I will cut off the ties and, uh, <clears throat> and I think I, I made the right decision because it was my health at risk at the time. Yes, yes, yes. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, okay. But did, didn't you have like, a didn't you struggle like with the fear of like, okay, like if I go independent, like I will not have like the monthly secured paycheck and the money may not come in or did you already somehow secured some work before you even quit Scribanek? No, no, I wasn't interested in it. So it was just like a leap of faith. Like, okay, like if it, like you said to yourself, like, okay, I've had enough. I just want to be fit. And like, my health is more important to me than the pay- paycheck. And I'll just somehow try to figure it out as a freelancer. Yes, exactly. I I had no background. I mean, I, I had no job offered. Later I had interviews and uh, I simply ran away. <laughs> <What not? laughs> I had a job offered at a different company, same job, and uh, I mean, as a project manager, and I decided to run away. Uh, it, it made me so uncomfortable, and uh, it was it was horrible. I imagined myself working there, and and it was the most horrific picture. So I said no, and uh, <clears throat> I I I didn't even know what to do. But I decided to, you know, stand up, keep up, wake up, and uh, and go forward. That was that was my decision, and my colleagues were very nice who stayed at the office because uh, they sent me some review jobs, proof proofreading jobs, and I was I quite good at it, and I enjoyed it. And uh, I didn't know that time, now I do, that proofreading was not a very popular uh, job. And I was, I was the one accepting all of them. And I think it was a very good lesson as well, starting as a proofreader in the industry. And it was you, actually, who made me become a translator. Because you didn't know that I, I never worked as a translator and you sent me a translator. <laughs> after, after several, several, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Now you're now you're saying <laughs> <laughs> no, but but okay. Be, before we before we get into like your whole career as a as a translator, mm-hmm. I still want to stick to like the first moment like after you quit because like only recently like I got like a comment from someone that I don't know. You know, they just somehow found the podcast, and this was someone who just like recently finished like their linguistic studies you know so i think that there are actually many people listening to the podcast who are probably in the position where you were when you quit your job you know like you quit your job you know you have to pay your bills and you have nothing so like what was going on through your mind and how long did it take till you got your first job and like were you thinking about you know like finances like did you have like some savings or i want to i want to focus on that period like until you kind of like turn it into like like okay like until kind of until like you saw like the 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 light at the end of the tunnel like you said to yourself like okay like i can actually 
survive being a freelancer? There was no tunnel. Uh, the moment I quit the company, I was out of the tunnel. And uh, I don't know if, 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 if you understand what I mean. Yeah, because like you, I think like you felt free, yes. I, I know because like I also had the same experience like when I quit from some previous companies because it was really like like I couldn't take it like it was making me frustrated dealing with some people blah 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 uh, but then you know like when you end up like uh, with no income I think that for many people this is like where the fear starts to kick in you know like first you have like that euphoric moment when you're like okay fuck you fuck you <laughs> i'm fine i'm done with you like i don't have to do with you anymore i'm super happy but then you know like there's no money coming in so how are you going to survive is that something that was going on through your mind or did you just experience the positive part where you just left the company, you were still high on being free, and then you started getting jobs. So you never actually had to like consider like, okay, like where am I going to actually get the money to to survive? I think that was the second type. I I was very very happy. I was very happy uh, to be free at last. I I had to realize uh, during my work there that I'm not a t team player at all. <clears throat> this is, this is uh, not something you are happy to put into your CV, you know. Oh, definitely. Uh, yes. Because everyone wants uh, team players. I'm not sure why. Correct. Because uh, most of the jobs are just individual jobs, no team jobs, I think. And uh, and I realized that I wasn't a team player. And uh, yeah, it was quite a sad but important moment in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I decided, uh, um, you know, being being in a company meant a burden to me, but maybe mm -hmm. me as a person and as a more or less introvert person was a burden to a company too. Uh, and I didn't want to be a burden to anybody, uh, and I didn't want to to feel imprisoned. In, in an office anymore. Uh, that was part uh, one part uh, I had in my mind during that time, and uh, and I was quite sure that I could find a job very quickly because I knew that I was a good uh, project manager, not the best one, but a skillful one. And uh, and when I realized. That after some interviews, that I, I I simply don't want to do this. Uh, I I realized that I could be a freelancer, nothing else but a freelancer. So <clears throat> my my colleagues, my ex colleagues, were extremely helpful, and uh, and they sent me jobs almost right away, and and it was it was kind of a like a blessing. No, not a blessing. It was it was, it was a feedback. That I could I could uh, work on on my own, yeah. That's oh yeah, it was like a sign, sign, right? Maybe. Yeah, sign. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just wondering, like, like how long did you had to wait for your first job to arrive, if you remember? Uh, from my colleagues, or uh, a few days maybe, because because, because uh, they realized that they could use me 
as a as a as a proofreader, and uh, that you are always short on proofreaders, uh, as I remember and as I can see. Uh, but uh, that was the time when the company ended in, in about a year after I quit, uh, and. Uh, and all the people went to different companies, you know, all of my colleagues. And that's why I had, so that was my first clientele, that, uh, the group of my clients, that uh, everyone went to a different uh, agency and, uh, and they offered me jobs. So that's how I started to build myself uh, as a freelancer, my, my, my platform. And it was good because uh, I had quite a, a various, you know, differentiated differentiated portfolio from different clients, and I could earn lots of lots of experience. And uh, and I I had uh, a new client coming, a new agency. I don't know where from, honestly. Oh, okay, I remember, but it's very complicated. Uh, but he he wasn't an ex colleague of mine, and he was and he became very quickly uh, my major my major client. So how 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 did he find you? Uh, it was uh, it was very interesting because it also happened through Skrivanek. Uh, but uh, I w- there was a project manager there, a girl. Uh, with whom we were very close with and and uh and he she had a, a vendor a Hungarian proofreader boy and uh, I don't I'm not sure if he was a project manager or he just tried to be a project manager for for this company and uh, <clears throat> and later he quit and came back home he 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 lived in Barcelona I think that time and uh, and he came home to Hungary, and and uh, he contacted me, and uh, and his friend, uh, his friend and his colleague had the, this certain company, and and with him I had absolutely no ties. I never heard of him, and and he he contacted me. I created a very good uh, test translation, and. <clears throat> And he decided to work with me, and we were still working together. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, that that's amazing! That's amazing. Yeah, more than ten years with a client. I think it's it's really something. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that I might have been like one of the first people who turned you into a translator. Is that really the case, or did you did you try to do like like your own? initiative to to become more of a translator and also sorry i'm I'm usually (laughs) just i just spit out all the questions at you and you have to remember them when did you actually discover or find out that being a translator might be better and by better i mean maybe more lucrative Mm, it was actually you i mean (laughs) Uh, no exaggerating, no storytelling. It was you. It was you who turned me into a translator, <laughs> literally. <Yay. laughs> 
<laughs> because I don't know if you remember it, uh, but you sent me uh, proofreading jobs only. I don't remember that. I don't remember that because, like, I'm, 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 I'm actually surprised because, like, well, we can, we can, we can share it, like, because, like, it's been such a long time. Like, the client that we were mainly working on was HP, mm-hmm. and HP was not only sending us HP stuff, but HP was also a vendor for Microsoft. So, so it was a combination of HP materials and also Microsoft uh, materials. So typically it but i don't remember like if there was someone else who would do translation before you so that's why i'm i'm like this kind of like doesn't match my memory that you would just be doing proofreading because then i don't know who would be doing the translations before that i, I cannot tell you i wasn't <laughs> next to you <laughs> Is it maybe possible? Is it maybe possible that we were sending it first to the Hungarian office of Skrivanek, and then you would do the proofreading? I don't know. Maybe chances are. Uh, Because at that time there was no machine translation, right? And there was no 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 no. Of course not. No, absolutely not. From my from my from my Skrivanek time. I remember that I was lucky, especially for Hungarian, because I had you, and I also had this other agency, which was called Tech. I'm not sure if you know about them, yeah. if you know any of the guys. I remember Istvan and and Laszlo. So I was very happy because, like, my Hungarian was like the best language ever, <laughs> because both of them were like reliable, and there was there was nothing to you know to like check after after you guys so that's why i still I, i'm still confused like who would be doing the translations before you I, i'm not sure i i cannot so so was it was it just like we were sending you like translation for proofreading and then suddenly i said oh the translator is not available can you maybe give it a try and do a translation do you actually remember that first yeah project? i think but you didn't tell me that uh Uh, the translation, the translator is not available, so please do the translation. And and I said, and I was like shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I I, I never performed a major translation before that. And uh, oh God, I had some, let's say, flirts and uh, and some flings <laughs> with translation. But, you know, I had, I, without exaggerating, I have to tell you that I had a great, great respect to translators. And I was quite sure that I could never reach that level of skill uh, or abilities, language, knowledge, anything, uh, background cultural linguistic anything to make to make me uh, eligible to become a translator that's what i thought and and one day one day you you came and said please do this and i was just sweating and i was in a state of shock uh, i had a very huge heart heart rate and i said uh, i was i was i remember that i i couldn't even reply to you immediately because 
I, I, I wanted to tell you that I never, never performed the translation before, but it was such a huge opportunity. And I didn't want to let you down. I didn't want to let myself down. So I decided to, to confirm the job. And um, that's how, how it all started, I think, with that one HP job. Yes. <laughs> so it's your fault. It's your fault, Andre. I didn't know I was so powerful, but okay. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> But that's actually that's actually that's actually funny because I think that like and maybe I can share this story because it's like nothing nothing no secret. I think that like even Global Me, the company that I'm working for right now, that's how they started, you know, because they were also working for for some client which which I cannot name. And then at some point the client had like an extra request like hey, can you maybe also do this? You know, so instead of saying like, no, no, I have never done that ever before. They just said yes. And they just like learn it uh, on the go. You mm-hmm. know, so I think that's 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 uh, that's how actually like people discover like new things that they could be doing. And maybe the new things uh, will fit them better than what they're already used to doing. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is like, how was like. You said that like you were you were like uh, afraid, you were nervous, but how does like a proofreader transition into translator? I think it's a better way. I mean, there are two ways to become a translator and a proofreader. You start as a proofreader and you become also a translator on the go, or you know, um, you start as a translator and later you accept some jobs uh, to proof it's 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 more difficult and it's uh, uh, it's not the best way i think it's better to start as a proofreader because uh, as a translator you have a different concept in mind and uh, as a proofreader you have to be a runner or just like a marathon runner and and a sprinter at the same time uh, and as a translator uh, you don't need that double skill uh, you just have to have a, a, a concept about the job how, how what kind of you know the tone of voice you will use uh, <clears throat> the i don't know pick of words uh, apart from terminology uh, if you want to be friendly, if you want to be uh, professional, um, these are these are the decisions. Sorry, these are the decisions you have to make as a translator, and as a proofreader, you have to uh, understand this vision, this concept, if there is any. Most of the time, I have to say there is no concept behind the works. And <clears throat> And you have to be able to pick, uh, you know, typical errors, not just like uh, Spacek or anything else, but also uh, inconsistencies. Uh, and uh, you have to you have to check every sentence on its own, and you have to check the paragraph, and you have to check the whole text. And that's why I say you have to be a sprinter and a marathon runner at the same time. Because you have to be able uh, for both 
and and it's really difficult if if you start as a translator i'm not sure that uh, uh you are actually capable of this if you know what i mean i mean if you can understand what i mean i think i think i do but at the same time i don't know like what they're teaching the people who go through these studies you know i would expect that they teach them like what you just said you know like the concepts and like the style and the tone of voice so maybe they're not totally unprepared but would you in general say that like being a proofreader is a is an easier way to get into the translation industry as a freelancer i think so <clears throat> but um, it's really interesting uh, the position of proofreading or review depending on how it's called now or quality assessment there are so many names uh, because to me it seems like that it's it's really important it's a really important step in, in in the process but at the same time i have the feeling that it's it, they do it because it's mandatory and uh, and companies would skip it if if it could if it was possible Yeah, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about because like I see like many of the companies and I think I was like basically shitting on on this before like if I see like a company and if I go on their website and like the first thing that I see is ISO certified then I'm like okay like uh boring, you know, because like they only do certain things just to comply with like a certain certifications like okay, like you need to have a translation, then you need to have like a QA step or proofreading. And they just do it because, like, it's kind of like uh, mandatory uh, because of the ISO certification. But like, in in reality, like you know, like there are like many different factors that that come into play. And usually, like when I see like ISO as like the main benefit of a certain company, to me, it means that they cannot uh, use their brains to to come up with something <laughs> extra to add the value for the client. You know, so. So yeah, um, okay. How <laughs> uh, is it working for your own? You know, like, did you start working from from home, or did you already at that time be like the new millennials that you know that you would go like to Starbucks coffee? How how was it? You mentioned that like you like like your freedom on its own, but at the same time, like I think that everybody who's working from home needs to kind of like have a certain level of discipline to actually do stuff and not do other things around the house mm -hmm. so how how did you start how was like your first experience you know working from home not going to the office and maybe try to compare it with like what you're doing right now like how has your free freelancer life evolved over the years i didn't have a discipline <laughs> 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 i was It was more like you know spontaneous and uh, and lazy. Okay. And during the first year, for sure, it is, you know it's it's long gone. It's long gone. But <laughs> I was just, I was just a very stupid little little freelancer at that time. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm happy to say that. And uh, and I realized uh, over the time that uh, uh, keeping deadlines is important. And later, uh, right now, 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I feel that they are always negotiable. <laughs> but that was definitely the time in my life when I was uh, quite accurate. Uh, I was quite accurate at deliveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm not, not that much. Maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I would be interviewing you if you were not keeping to your deadlines because I don't like people who don't stick to their <laughs> deadlines, especially if they agree with it. That's like the worst kind of the f- freelancers, and not only freelancers, like anyone that I'm working with is like when you ask them, like, okay, can you please deliver something by I don't know, let's say tomorrow, and they say yes, and then they even if they like know that they'll be late. They don't even like tell you that, hey, I'm sorry, like I'll be late. Can you extend it? They just don't do anything. That's like the worst kind of delays that, that really pissed me off because like people are like not accountable for, for their own deadlines that they agreed to. So I'm glad that I, I, I work with you during your consistent times when you were delivering on time because otherwise you would be, you would, I would have a different memory of you. Okay, please continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I learned my lesson. No, you you have to be capable of capable of developing and uh, growing, uh, because uh, I know it's it's really annoying when when somebody somebody's waiting for your work and and you are late. Maybe you are late with a reason. Most of the time. I'm late with the reason, and, and this reason is uh, usually out of my own control. And it's really, <laughs> I, it, it, it pisses me off all the time. But it happens almost every day. Part of part of the freelancer life, I think. Uh, can you can you maybe share like some examples of what you mean, like what is out of your control? For example, you go home because you know that you have like three hours to finish a a job which takes 90 minutes to finish. And uh, and suddenly uh, the transport dies and you you have to walk home and it takes much more time. Or suddenly you have health issues or your loved one has health issues. And uh, and it it actually happened uh, um, when my mom my mom was very very ill, and I had a very very tight deadline for something, and I called the PM and I I was crying that and I, and I told him that I, it was impossible for me to finish the job, and uh, <clears throat> and he was very very understanding. Because it doesn't happen too often, I think. I, I maybe I, I I made this kind of call like two times in my life, and and I never lied. Uh, so this is out of my control. Uh, I I never. I'm not a you know. I'm not a bad person. I I don't want to cause troubles uh, to project managers. I remember how stressful. This work was, and uh, and I like them even even if I don't have personal relationship with uh, most of them, and uh, and I I just want to be reliable and kind and uh, and de- deliver good quality, and sometimes it happens, life happens. 
yeah life happens yeah yeah exactly that's what i was thinking as well um do you have like any like a routine uh like when you start your work like do you try to like are you like morning person or an evening person um can you maybe like i just i just want to get like an practical way of like how you how you go uh through your day as a freelancer i don't have a typical day <laughs> <laughs> okay life, life happens to you every day right <laughs> I, have, I have yeah i have uh a, i have a plan or i have rather have a hope for every day and <laughs> That's so bad. That way, <laughs> but it's okay. more like a hope, you know. Uh, every every day ends with a little prayer, like, please, please don't ruin my next day, <laughs> like you did it today or yesterday or the day before. And uh, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I I I know. Right now, I know what I'm capable of, uh, client-wise, work-wise, workload-wise. So I know how to fit everything in into into my schedule, and my schedule is not as tight as it used to be, because at the beginning, uh, my my goal was to have as many clients as possible, as many jobs as possible, and I I never no to anything that was that was my uh, my approach and uh, it's it's really difficult to get rid of it when when you are already with the flow and and you already have your well established relationship with clients and you can go go for a longer holiday without risking a relationship or a, a client and losing it and now i i have very well established relationships really and <clears throat> i can afford myself to to negotiate the deadline or the budget uh but it it took a lot of time and uh, not just time but to learn my own value and to gain and build confidence i think um, i think that's the most difficult thing when you start as a newbie in any any uh, industry that you have to you have to learn your own value and you have to build confidence basically out, out of nowhere and uh, and i'm very proud of myself that I was capable of doing this really it wasn't it wasn't in my DNA it was work yeah yeah I, I totally agree with you like the like everybody needs to like judge their own value um but like for the for the new people listening you mentioned like you know like you're confident like about your relationships with the clients like how how would you advise for the new people like how they can kind of like measure or know when their relationships are strong strong like what are the signs that you're looking for when you're when you're going to say that okay with this client 
I now have like a better relationship. Is it purely based on the email communication? Do you also try to, if possible, meet with some of your clients in person because you think that like a personal connection adds like a lot of like strengthens the relationship a lot more what what's your opinion on this how how do you know that a relationship with a client is is strong um they it's a very interesting thing uh they tell you things they are not supposed to tell you uh <laughs> I'm just thinking about the stuff that I told you when we were doing, where we were when we were working together. Okay. Indeed, and, and I knew. It's yeah. It's 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 12 a.m. So yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I I really mean it. That they they tell you some background information. Or their share some of, uh, especially the project managers, because I I don't have uh, direct end clients right now, and and I prefer it that way. I used to have uh, end clients, uh, and it was it was really difficult. <clears throat> so I prefer working for agencies, and I prefer uh, working with the project managers. I never had a personal. I think I never met anyone in person in my life, not even you. Haha. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> no, I I I like being friendly. I'm open, sometimes chatty, sometimes because I'm getting older, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not as a I'm not as that young girl I used to be, you know, for. 13, 14 years ago, this is a this was a different time and different different me. Uh, but I, I I like I like to have a smooth relationship, and I I want to show my clients that I'm a real professional, that I understand I understand their problems, I understand what the end client wants, uh, and I still if if I if I'm against something. Where I advise, my I have a different opinion or a different advice or a different approach. I always tell them very clearly, and and with and I always have proof. I think it's 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 very valuable. Uh, I I I gained uh, respect uh, with this approach. Maybe I'm not even capable of anything else. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, if you show how professional how professional now you are, sorry, uh, uh, I think it's it's it, it's worth it. It's always worth it at the end of the day because uh, they, project managers love vendors who know what they are talking about and why they do what they do. They, they can un, who can understand the whole process, who can understand the project manager's position in the whole process. Of course, I understand. I used to be one of them. So I think it's it's just uh, you have to take as many pieces of the puzzle in the industry as possible because uh, that's how you understand the the end client. That's how you understand the project manager, the agency, the different vendors. Um, 
I think I think that's the point that you have to to learn, not just uh, the tools. You don't not just you know uh, going through the trainings, but uh, you have to gain information about anything that's possible from anyone who is ready to tell you something. It's not uh, gossip. It's it's uh, it's purely about the job that you understand where you are and where you go and where the industry is coming to and uh, you have a roadmap. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Like that's like the added value that kind of like I think separates the 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 good from the best. And I think like maybe I even mentioned this on one of the earlier episodes and I think it also applies well, it applies to everyone in the world where when whatever you're doing but i think i was also mentioning it for for the case of project managers you know like you can mainly just focus like on like okay like what the customer wants from me and then just pass that information to the freelancers and get the project done but that's just like the basics you know uh but then if you are more uh, interested in like finding out like what the what the product or the service that you're localizing is actually about who are the the, the end consumers or the end clients of, of the product and if you see like these things like in the bigger picture it definitely increases the value of you as a project manager because like anybody can like forward uh, handoffs <laughs> from their clients to the to the rest of the team uh, and you can get the project done that way, but uh, I think it's like a very boring um, way to look at project management. Um, so you mentioned uh, that end clients are difficult. Can you elaborate more on why that is so? Why you prefer working with LSPs? Uh, end clients uh, don't don't know uh, anything about the industry. They just want to get the job done. And I think it's quite understandable. Uh, in my opinion, they don't even have to know because they pay and they have a request and they have a deadline. And the three factors are more or less enough uh, to, to work for them. But they don't understand uh, if you have issues they don't tend to reply if you have questions because they don't understand your questions or why you want to know something. And maybe they say it's confidential information. And perhaps it is. But without this information, you won't be able to deliver a quality job uh, because you miss miss something. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, sometimes they are very pushy. Or sometimes they are absolutely ignorant. <laughs> Depends. And, uh, and sometimes uh, they are both. I mean that during different phases of the job, if you have 10 days, for instance, uh, um, and during the first three days they are absolutely ignorant. It happened to me, and, and as the deadline approaches, they are getting more and more pushy, and and uh, I think it's it's uh, it's not good because uh, you have to concentrate on the work, and uh, it's really tiring uh, 
to be open and ready to answer questions from the clients and uh, explain things to them. This is what the agency does, uh, the uh, language service provider does, and I don't have to deal with it. If I'm, if I'm working for the LSP instead of the client, the end client. So I think that's why it's, uh, it's difficult. It takes more communication, uh, more effort, <clears throat> and you won't get uh, more information from the client. It's not necessary. Uh, so I cannot see the benefit to work for end clients as, uh, as you know, as a simple vendor. Uh, I have no company behind me. I have just this small business company. Just, you know, I'm just an entrepreneur, nothing else. Uh, and that's why it's, it's more comfortable to push this responsibility uh, on the LSPs and in doing myself as a vendor. Yeah, I, I think it makes things simpler for you as a freelancer. Uh, but on the other hand, I also think like working directly with end clients. Of course, it depends on like if they actually have like a localization department or someone like in that company who actually thinks about localization in a different way than just asking a couple of freelancers to do some translations. And I think like what is the upside is that like if you don't have the middleman, which to you looks like a benefit, I think like working directly with end clients gives you like more opportunities to improve things, assuming that they're like listening and they want to improve their localization. And also it kind of like, cuts off the, the middleman. And I know that like one of the main things that I was struggling with in my previous companies, especially it was a feedback from freelancers was that, you know, dealing with translator queries, uh, when you send it to, to the, to the LSP, then you need to wait for them to pass it on to the client because many of the queries, uh, the, the project manager or anyone working on the LSP side, they cannot answer it. You know, they have to actually ask the client. So this adds like extra time. So I think it was in Autodesk that we were actually considering uh, just opening like a direct channel between the translators and the developers. For example, like when you're translating like a software and there's like a string which has like an uh, ambiguous uh, meaning, it's much easier if you can just ask directly the developer who put the string there and they know the meaning rather than waiting for some project manager to pass it on to their client who may be just be like another project manager on the client side and then they have to pass it on to the developer and everything just adds time. So I think like working with end clients has also is its benefits. So I just wanted to share this so that it doesn't look like it's a bad thing always. No, 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 absolutely not. It has benefits. Yes, time-wise, um... Uh, rate wise, of course, because um, you can you can get a higher rate if if you don't have an interim an interim company, uh, you know, who is negotiating between you and the client. But, uh, um, I think uh, if I look look at it, that it's it's the price 
of my pamphlet. I think to me it's worth it, but I understand that some people, some people have a different approach and uh, they see it in a different way. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. I can, I can absolutely understand uh, those vendors who are looking for uh, the opportunity to work directly to an end client or more, of course. But uh, I tried it, and to me, to, with my character, with my personality, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think this is a very good point. That, like everybody should just try things on their own and experience. So, like, so even though we are like trying to give like some advices and tips here, uh, this is really just something that works for you. And I think this is very important that everybody learns and kind of like tastes of what is available and finds out what's working for them and what makes them happy and just uh, stick to stick to that. So you mentioned rates. That's kind of like a, a sensitive um, topic. Um, I don't want to ask like for your rates because that's like uh, kind of like irrelevant, but you also mentioned like your value. So how do you approach negotiating rates? Have you been in a position where the LSP has asked you to lower your rates? How do you go about it? Do you calculate like your margin? Do you look at it from like a long-term perspective? Do you also take the relationship into account? How do you approach the topic of rates? It changed over time. First, I was happy to have any job uh, coming in. Of course. And uh, whatever rate it had, you know, whatever the rate was, I accepted it. And uh, I didn't even pay attention to the rate at first, during my first years, I think, because I was happy to, to have a sl- solid uh, circle of clients and uh, I was happy to work for them and and it seemed like a, a stable well-established relationship it was almost like being an employee without the you know the backdrop of being <laughs> yes. an employee and uh, and it was it was good it was it was very comfortable and easy going and I enjoyed it really really much uh, and after a time, I realized that uh, I, I read some blog posts uh, about uh, translation, and uh, and I was it was really interesting to see how different colleagues from different cultures, different backgrounds, uh, think about certain things, about like rates or discount, for instance. And uh, there was a blog. I cannot remember which one. I'm sorry, but it was a really interesting post about uh, giving discount. And the author of the blog post uh, wrote that he never, he never gives discount to anybody, and he had very good arguments, very excellent, strong arguments why. And and I started to think about that way because you know everyone things that if you work for a client who is a regular and you give discounts, you get more jobs from them. So it's, it's going to be a long-term uh, cooperation. But uh, at the same time, it means that you have to work more 
uh, for the same money and you might lose other uh, clients or other opportunities uh, and um, maybe you won't be able to to develop to grow all the time because you work for the same client over and over and over again uh, and it, it gets boring and uh, you become a specialist of something maybe you won't be maybe maybe chances are that you won't be able to use this kind of special knowledge and insight if you lose this client and and you have to pick new ones and second uh, if if you lose this one client you work for it means that you lose all your income um, so that's why I, I I don't like this kind of uh, based on discount long-term relationships I don't like it I think it's uh, <clears throat> it's not useful it's it's not fruitful especially not from the vendor's perspective it's really comfortable for the clients I think because they don't have to look for new vendors all the time they have the one vendor and he works cheaper I, I have a I have a quick question just about this discount just to make sure that I understand this correctly because I understand how discount especially when we're talking about like long-term relationships how that works between end clients and LSPs so they usually have like this minimum um, amount of work that they need to give to the LSP and that's when the discount kicks in so they have like this guaranteed amount of work they're expecting and if they don't get that amount of work then like their higher rates are applied how does it work with freelancers do you also have something like that when you talk about discounts like the lsp would guarantee you a minimum amount of work per month or is it just like okay you work for us and we promise you that we will keep giving you work but we will use this discount regardless of the amount of work that we send to you. Of course, they uh, regardless. Of course. Okay. Uh, actually, I I don't give discount, <clears throat> and my reason is that uh, my reason uh, for not giving discount is uh, that uh, if I dedicate myself to one client, I might lose my regular ones. And uh, second, uh, I I cannot accept as an argument that uh, lots of clients do this uh, uh, LSPs. I mean, that I we we gave discount to the end client, so you have to discount to us. I cannot check it. I don't have the chance to to check their books, and uh, I cannot call the accountants. To, and ask them, oh, if, if you have this end client Z, and uh, you, have, you have you are the LSP, and please tell me if if you have a, a special agreement about discounts with this uh, end client Z, they they will they will laugh laugh uh, at best. I mean, <laughs> they will call the police, uh, which is understandable, of course. Uh, I, I think I think uh, relying on something from the LSP's uh, perspective is is not fair 
uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't, and of course that's that's when I'm I feel very sorry for the project managers because it's not their decision, but they are the ones who have to communicate it. Uh, yeah, they're the messengers yeah. Yeah, that get slain. And, and and I feel so sorry for them. Of course, I'm angry at them because they are the ones killing me. <laughs> I don't necessarily. It is natural, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I I act like that, because you know I'm a I'm I'm an experienced translator and an experienced vendor, and I understand the process behind. So, <clears throat> I I won't shout. I won't be necessarily angry. Unless the communication, you know, um, the tone is inappropriate. Otherwise, I am just saying no. I say no. I don't give discounts. I'm sorry. If if you want to work with me under this condition, please please feel free to do so. Otherwise, we won't be able to cooperate. And uh, interestingly. Uh, I don't think many people do this because 90% of the time the client accepts uh, that I don't give discount. You mean the end client or the LSP? The LSP. The LSP. The LSP, yes. Uh, as I don't work for end clients now. So when I say client, I, I mean LSP. I'm sorry, I don't pay attention to it, okay? <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe they just want to keep a good vendor or giving 5%, 10% from my rates is not as important. Because, uh, to be honest, uh, rates depend on the market, not on the vendor or not on the client. Uh, if, if, you, if you are from a you know, not so rich country, uh, and your market is small, uh, your rates will be much significantly lower uh, than a vendor from a vendor who is coming from from a rich and big market. Yeah, but like market, like, mm. but it also depends on like what is the competition for that for that language pair, right? Because like if I don't have any Hungarian translators, I and I and I really need to like promote my new product or service in Hungary. If I don't find anyone suitable, then you might charge me more than uh, I don't know. People might charge me in Germany or France because I have a lot more options, right? So that's also like it's kind of like a supply and demand, right? It's like the basics of economics. But of course, you if, if as you are aware, if you are aware of this, yes. Otherwise, uh, you won't charge more. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's what I was just going to say because, like, you as a freelancer don't know if if I'm actually struggling to find someone good. So you don't know that you have the opportunity to charge me more, and I would still take it because I have no other option. Uh, but yeah, I think we were stuck a little bit on on the discounts. But just like, let's talk about general, like your rates. Like, do you have like a standard rates that you apply for everyone? Or how do you differentiate between like, let's say new client? I'm not sure if you're like taking new clients at this point. What if you had a new client? 
do you start a negotiation by saying like these are my rates or do you let them approach you like what would you suggest you want to pay me um, and maybe also give an example with existing clients because you said like you have these long-term relationships i'm wondering whether your rates have changed over time and if they change did they increase or did they go down <laughs> You had a very very complex questions. Yeah, I wanted to. Okay. I wanted yes, you know, because <laughs> when I was preparing for this, I was like reading Tim Ferriss. You know Tim Ferriss? No. Go okay, on. so he's like he's like this. He has like one of the most successful podcasts, and I know him because he wrote a book uh, for our work week, and he's generally like this kind of like efficiency guy, and he tests like a lot of things. So I was going through like he he made like a blog post about interviews and he said like that he wanted to differentiate his podcast uh to be very practical and i also want to do the same thing you know so that's why i'm asking about these details you know because like all your answers could help someone who's just starting out or who's who's listening or who's more experienced so i want to know how you approach these rates because i'm pretty sure that's one one very important topic for everyone for for all the freelancers you know like how they set their rates and especially since you were talking about like the value of yourself that like you know like that you are like a professional you are a very good translator you know your value so i want to know how you reflect this in your rates and how you go about a negotiation of the rates um knowing my value uh, means that i don't need discounts it's uh, something I, you know, I cannot be flexible with this because uh, my 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 LSPs and my project managers are quite demanding. So I feel that if I if I let let it happen once, it it hap- it will happen all the time. But it's it's just me. It's just me. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. say it's it's necessarily true. It's just my fear that it might happen. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, knowing my value also means that uh, uh, I try to renegotiate my rates time after time. Uh, th- the thing is that uh, whenever I chose uh, an LSP to work with, or they picked me simply. Uh, they they had uh, ready to go rates, and uh, I tried to negotiate these rates right at the beginning because I found them very low and very uh, you know the previous decade rates and. Uh, and and sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. But I I try to renegotiate re- my rates because uh, life is getting uh, more and more expensive. And if you, if you have uh, if you have the same rates, you won't be able to allow yourself certain things after a while. You are ne- I, I I was never offered uh, a higher rate due to time or 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 because we had a you know a five year anniversary 
uh, co uh, cooperation. So uh, we, we will increase your rates for for this reason. No, it never happened to me. And uh, <clears throat> I just simply try to renew, uh, negotiate, negotiate all the time. Uh, for instance, uh, there is a there are times when you are offered uh, to to perform a quick job and a, an expedited job, express job, and, and then they offer you a standard rate, and and I tell them, no, thank you, I cannot accept it, because it means that I will I will uh, be late, running late with anything else, anything else I I already accepted and promised and uh, I have to squeeze this job into my already full schedule or into my not so tight schedule but I want to have you know a lazy day mm -hmm. <laughs> and and it means that my extra effort uh, is for my time and not for you know um, not for the job or because it's big or small, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you need it quite right away. So you have to offer me more than a standard rate, and uh, it depends how much I ask for. And and that's the point uh, when you know when when you will understand if the job is really urgent or not. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if the job is urgent, they will pay you a higher rate. Uh, if the job is not so urgent, they will try to look for somebody else. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, there is, you know, it's about psychology. You have to learn people. You have to observe how they behave, how they react. What can you allow yourself? What kind of tone you have to use, or what can you use? How you how to speak? When to be friendly and when to, when to be when to be flexible and when to be very very firm and and it comes with experience. There is no recipe, uh, but but you will know that you screwed something up. Uh, Taylor Taylor is the best tutor, I think, and and. Uh, you don't have to be ashamed of yourself, especially if you are a beginner and you know a newcomer. And uh, you just you just have to you just have to test the client, and you have to push yourself, uh, you know, a bit, not much, uh, just to just to get to get the picture of yourself. Because if you start uh, a new profession. And you have a different background, or you you have already worked for twenty years in different industries. Still, doesn't mean that you actually know yourself. It's a different situation. It's a different profession. It's a quickly changing uh, environment, uh, and and uh, you have to you you just have to observe yourself, know yourself, and if you know yourself, you will know your clients. The LSPs, the project managers, and that's when you can uh, build strong relationships with them. I think. 
Hey everyone, a quick note before you leave. This was just the first part of the interview. Please stay tuned. We'll be releasing the next part in a week, probably in 2020. So I wish you happy holidays. Uh, enjoy the time off and see you in 2020.